All right, welcome back, everybody. Sports Daily, hour number two. Trekking down Tim Fitzgerald, our K-State insider. We'll get to that uh, in just a mention, uh, in just a little bit. But, uh, Tommy, while we wait, you sent last night Brandon Staley, Chargers head coach. Chargers are making some changes in the coaching staff. They're going to stick with Staley. He was asked if he thought he was outcoached in that game by Doug Peterson. He said, basically, well, I don't think I was for a half as we were up and, and then tried, you know, gave credit to, to Peterson and the way those guys played. You you thought he should have had a little more accountability there. I'm not so sure that – I think he probably handled it fine. That's a tough question. I'm not saying the question is unfair, but it's a tough question. Uh, and, and I don't know what a coach is supposed to say there, but I know that – in my opinion, if you are trying to garner confidence out of your locker room, you don't admit defeat publicly like that. You know, and and they did get out to a big lead, albeit I don't know how much of that was. Well, I don't want to take any coaching credit away because they did have four interceptions. So whatever they were doing was working. But I, I don't know that he needs to come out and say, yeah, you know what? I was out coached. He, he was better than me on that day. No, I think that you can say that. Last I checked, you can. The, the game the game doesn't end at halftime. And so I, I think that if, if he just went out there and said, uh, yeah, I mean, Doug Peterson, he got me. Uh, I was outcoached, but I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that doesn't happen again. That's the way to do it. That's the way to show accountability and honest honesty. And, and that's the answer that I think that you need to, to have right there. Yeah, and, and the only reason you might do that is to take some attention away from your players not making plays, which I know everybody wants to blame coaches in that situation, but the reality is if they pick up a few first downs, if they catch balls, if they do the thing, if they break attack, you know, all the things that players are also responsible for. But when you that say I wasn't outcoached for a half, I mean, I'm sorry, that doesn't matter because you didn't win the game and you were outcoached in the half that mattered and you lost the game. Like, just show some accountability. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's probably not that big a deal either way. But it was interesting as, as you know, shots are going to get fired, how he navigates that this offseason and if he can maintain the confidence of his locker room because I don't think he has the confidence of the fan base or uh, certainly the media. All right, let's no. talk a little K-State sports. Sunflower showdown a couple of days old now, but, man, it still lingers, and I know K-State fans are riding high. Here we go. Let's welcome in our K-State Insider. He's got all the insight on what you want to know and maybe some of what you don't want to know. Here's K-State Insider Tim Fitzgerald. All right, Fitz. KSU, right? KSU. Can Jerome Tang solve the unsolvable with Sandstorm and the K-State Rowdies here? I, I would have said no, but man, his tactics to get it done are as good as I've seen. Maybe he can do it, but it's going to take winning a lot more basketball games to get it done. How are you, Fitz? I'm good. That's, that's a great question. Can he do the undoable here? Uh, you know, I, I think he might be able to, at least with this generation. I th- this group of students is so bought in, um, but... You know, this this is something that goes back to Hearn Fieldhouse, and it used to be Rock Chalk Chicken Hawk Blank KU. So it's it's been around a long time. But um, if anyone can do it, in fact, he's the only one who could do it um, because he really has the trust of the student body. Can I just say, on the record, coming from a KU fan, 
I love Jerome Tang. Like, I genuinely love Jerome Tang. He's the best thing that has happened for this basketball program uh, in a long time, uh, forever. Uh, and just, and we've talked about it before, Fitz, his energy, his enthusiasm. But the way he handles himself, the classiness, uh, he is so well-spoken, uh, says the right things at the right time. Uh, I mean, he is literally a diamond in the rough. Like, the, the, I can't think of a better situation for Kansas State basketball than having Jerome Tang leading that program into the future. There is a, a scenario of events where I thought uh, he would be this effective as a coach immediately, a guy that's never been a head coach at the college level. Um, and it, it's, it's impressive how he's handling every aspect of this job not just the X's and O's or the off-court stuff or, you know, keeping the kids online. Um, yeah, look, you know, his summer and uh, fall GPAs are the highest, apparently, in K-State basketball history. So he didn't go out and find a bunch of kids that aren't good citizens and good students to come play basketball and kind of be hired guns for a year. He went out and found some kids that are, are serious about what they do on and off the court and drum tangs like that. And I put it this way in one of my videos, uh, daily delivery videos, he never stops coaching. And that means uh, even if he's coaching the student body on how to behave and how to present themselves as Kansas Staters, it's absolutely incredible. I've never seen a person that brings such positivity and makes everyone around him want to be better. Uh, but that's Jerome Tang. He's, he's, a very unique individual. I've never met a coach like him. It, it I, I agree with that. And, and I don't know, you know, because it's not, I, I think what, what is special about what he's doing is outside the coaching, which has obviously been fantastic. And I thought that was the best display of going, you know, body blow for body blow with Bill Self, who's the best at it. And, and the strategies of that game were really interesting but it's the off-the-court stuff. It's the values that he believes in. And it's the fact that they're so obviously not phony baloney and genuine. And that, you know, even though people may not agree with him wholeheartedly, it, I, I think, at least from what I've seen, pretty universally, people appreciate his efforts in that way. And, and, and you don't see that often. An example— there's a lot of people that think Dabo Sweeney is super cheesy at Clemson. I'm not saying that I do. I don't believe that. But you don't see that when Jerome Tang so clearly puts his values on his, you know, on his chest as a badge of honor. People seem to just sort of appreciate it, whether they believe it or not. Yeah, he's sincere. I mean, you know, you can identify other coaches who say stuff. Um you know, when Frank Martin would talk about coaching and trying to form young people, you could tell he was being really sincere. You can disagree with how he went about it at times, but you could tell he was being sincere. And, uh, you know, Jerome's kind of the, the antithesis of Frank in how he goes about it, but it's, same, it's the same message about, you know, making people better around you and holding them accountable. Um, and it's just so refreshing. And you brought up something, Tommy, that I, that I really like. Uh, he's very clear and concise in what he says. And he comes up with some great analogies along the way. But 
you understand his point, and that's so refreshing as a journalist. Uh, you know, if, if if something's wrong, he's not going to say, "Oh, everything's okay." He's going to bring it up and talk about it uh, as a chance to better the situation. It's it's really impressive to be around him. Well, you know, it's not just uh, the the character and and the qualities that he has. He's just a, a hell of a basketball coach too. And you know, in the game uh, on on Tuesday night, um, it was I was blown away the entire game plan for Kansas State, but specifically the game winning play to Keontae Johnson, the out of timeout lob, which you know I've watched Bill Self draw that up for Kansas so many times over the years. And that was the play that Jerome Tang drew up. And it was the game winner for Kansas State. Talk a little bit about the game plan that you saw Jerome Tang implement and that ultimately led to the Kansas State win. Well, I, this is what I noticed in this game. And keep in mind, this guy uh, came in and recruited 11 new players to go with two guys that are really helping the team right now, and Marquise Noel and Ish Masood. But he went out and found all new guys. And this is the first KU-K-State game I've covered since probably the 2008 game. When I can look at the the Jimmys and Joes out on the court and say, K-State matches them. Um, and that play defined it because you had a really good player defending a really good player. And for once, it was the K-State player that was able to jump a little bit higher and be strong enough to catch the ball and dunk it. Uh, even though the other player knew what was coming. Uh, and at the end of the day, to have the faith in your players to execute what had to be a very precise pass and a perfectly handled ball uh, is kind of the definition of Jerome Tang. He put so much trust in people to do the right thing. Uh, but you're right, and I saw Bill Self do it throughout this game, at least six points off of timeouts, coming out of timeouts um, at that KU scored. Uh, because of the coaching off the bench. It's one of the things I admire the most about Bill Self is he buys his team so many points out of timeouts with good coaching, good designs on inbounds or set plays. Uh, and Jerome Tang kind of matched that throughout the game. And, and really, that's been my theory for a long time is KU wins a lot of close games because the points they need to win come off the bench. And he turns uh, potential losses into victories. And, and Jerome Tang did it to KU, and it was it's something to behold. It really is. When we look at this team, Fitz, I think after watching that game and, like, all the other things that we saw, right, but, and, and this is, you know, a credit to KU and K-State, adjustments that were made in the game, the style of basketball that was played two or three different ways within the game, the Stars – shining when they had to on both ends. I kind of see both of these teams as a second weekend, you know, team or teams for both of them. They both feel like at least sweet 16 teams to me. Are you getting that vibe from, I I assume you had it for KU, but are you getting that vibe now for K-State? Yeah, I am. Um, Because, you know, outside of a specific opponent type um, or two, um, K-State's going to match up with people, and TCU's that type. They have a, a dominant post player, which K-State has problems defending, although getting David Gasson back, hopefully, for Saturday should get that somewhat solved, a little bit solved. But And also, TCU is incredibly long. 
Uh, and those two things really added up for K-State. But then you see TCU turn around and lose at West Virginia. So um, it's this, this team's really good. I mean, they're proving it night in and night out. Uh, but I, the difference between this team being what you're describing and being, hey, we made it to the NCAA tournament, that was fun, let's go home after a game, uh, is the fact that this team now is 4-0 in overtime games. Uh, and that gets back to all we've been talking about, the coaching uh, and the ability to, to form a team, a collected bunch of parts, and put it into a cohesive unit like this that knows what they need to do down the stretch is a real compliment to both the coaching and the players that have meshed so well. And it's it's impressive. But, you know, it's so much of what we talk about, success and failure basketball, might come down to one shot, you know, and, and giving your team – uh, more more chances at that is really uh, a huge part of what Jerome Tang does. Fitz, I thought it was remarkable that defensively for Kansas State, they were able to prevent the Jayhawks from getting up a final shot at the end of regulation and at the end of overtime. Um, yeah, and going back to when they played on the road in Austin uh, against the Longhorns, you know, I, I had this thought in my head that yeah, they scored 116 points. That's great, but they also gave up 103. Uh, and so I was yeah. wondering where they were at defensively, but there was lockdown defense, especially in crunch time when it mattered the most. How do you feel about where the Wildcats are on the defensive side of the ball? Uh, still need to be more consistent. Um, you saw them have tremendous amount of problems with KJ Adams and, and him rolling to the basket, which ironically is something they do effectively. Uh, you would think they would understand how to defend it. Uh, but their lack of a true post player of a, you know, a, a big presence in the middle um, that, that can be really strong and defend the rim puts them at peril sometimes. Um, and uh, they have to get better in defense. They, they, they have little breakdowns all the time, but uh, this is um, something I think they'll get better at as the season goes. And uh, it's always frustrated me when previous coaches, um, you know, including Hugs and Frank Martin, which spent so much time working on defense, the damn team couldn't score a basket. Um, and so uh, you could just get outscored in some games and never really have a chance. Uh, I kind of like the way they're going about it. They, they wanted to make sure this team offensively was well cut out and defined. Um, and, and now they're, you know, slowly building this defense up uh, because you can only do so much in practice. And, um, Look, uh, they're going to have some bad matchups. But I think KU is a good matchup this year because KU doesn't have that true post presence that they've had in the past. I don't think they need it as long as they can defend it. I think they're similar to, to KU in that way. You know, I, I don't know that it's necessary to have that offensively when you've got guys like Noel and Keontae and the continued development of Tomlin. Like, they can get the offense in other places, so can they defend that position? The big test against TCU, no bueno. Um, K.J. Adams was pretty effective down there before he fouled out. What can K-State do? Because I think it'd be their biggest flaw, if there is one right now, is defending that spot. Well, uh, getting David Gasson back, even though David's not a true post, and uh, you know he's certainly not a, a huge uh, presence in terms of being physical, but he's extremely long. Uh, gives them another defender like Naquan Tomlin, who you know uh, can front and and be so quick in the post that they can 
you know, evade some of that post-presence that they have, uh, you know, they might run into. But uh, I think, you know, keep in mind, K-State's been doing a lot of this without the guy who had earned the starting spot at the post. And how they how they equal it out is exactly, Tommy, what they did at Texas. If, if you want to, you know, bang it in the middle uh, and, and, you know, get running with us, we're just going to try to – we're going to run with you, um, and we're going to use – the post presence we have, which means guys that are extremely good rolling to the basket and doing things on the offensive end. Um, you might get your points in the paint, but we're still going to outscore you from that spot because you won't be able to keep up with, with Gasson moving to the rim uh, as Noel and others break down a defense and pass the ball. Well, we've got a three-way tie in the big 12 now at the very top and the Wildcats have an opportunity fits on Saturday to potentially take sole possession of first place. Kansas is back at home against a wounded TCU team that lost last night in Morgantown, which I thought was surprising. And then Iowa State uh, on the road at Oklahoma State, who blew out OU in Bedlam last night. So K-State gets the uh, Texas Tech Red Raiders at home. Uh, They've probably got a, a, a good shot here to win this game, but also if these other two teams falter, we could see the Wildcats in sole possession of first place. Uh, yeah, and you know all all I know about the Big Twelve is you're probably going to get chaos um, because just when you think you know TCU, they do that, um, and when you think you figured out West Virginia, they play at that level. Um, Oklahoma State, you know, Oklahoma almost wins in Allen Fieldhouse. Now they've done this. It's just yeah. it's unbelievable. This conference is just a mess. It, um, uh, I would advise no one, since it's not legal in Kansas, to be betting on Big Twelve basketball. Um, it, it's advice I'm not taking, but I, I'm, I'm looking out for you because I know the <laughs> ramifications of betting on these games. Uh, but I think Saturday, or excuse me, Tuesday at, uh, I don't even know what day of the week it is, at Iowa State is going to be the antithesis of what it was for K-State this Tuesday. I mean, they're going to go on the road at a packed arena that is really loud. Uh, the crowd might be chanting FKU. You don't know. Um, and... Uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see how this group of kids responds to a truly um, uh, angry crowd. You know, uh, they've, they've been to Texas that actually had a decent crowd. They've been to some other places. But, you know, TCU and Baylor won't replicate what, what Hilton Magic is about and how hostile it can get in there. It's uh, How many losses is the winner of the Big 12 going to have this year, Tim? I'm thinking four, but... Um, these three teams seem to be separating just a little bit, um, but you got to keep in mind they got to play each other. So there's there's you know two games for each program that might get split and get them all to two right there, or three losses. So it's it's a mess. It's 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 something else. And what's really sad about it is a team like West Virginia that um, you know unless they can get to six wins at the bare minimum in the Big Twelve. It just doesn't have a chance to get in, no matter what their net ratings or anything else is. Um, so it's it's this conference is just ridiculous, and uh, I, not everyone deserves to be in because someone won't be playing well enough at the end. But this is this could be an eight bid conference, really good. Yeah, I, I agree. All right, what's up at GoPowerCat.com for folks? Is uh, the buzz is buzzing as high as it could be? Yeah. Uh, exactly. Uh, I think we've had about 20 photos of Jerome Tang on our front page over the last three days. Um, <laughs> a, a lot of coverage of what's going on with K-State basketball. 
um, you know, both on and off the court with the stuff Coach Tang's been talking about. In fact, one of my topics of my daily delivery today is exactly what Tommy brought up, the coming out of timeouts and, you know, being able to score and match Bill Self. Um, and the transfer portal is still very entertaining for college football. There's still some comings and goings, and we're tracking it all at GoPowerCat. All right, GoPowerCat.com. You can find tip, uh, Tim Life of Fitz on Twitter. Fitz, we appreciate it. Enjoy this ride. I know it's I know it's a fun time there in the early stages of what we hope is a long, long legacy for K-State Hoops with Jerome Tang. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. There goes Fitz. We'll come back, hit on some other storylines that we've been thinking about over the last 24 hours or so. 869-1240. If you missed anything with Tim Fitzgerald or Chelsea Messenger in the first hour, you can always find those at KFH Radio. Jacob and Tommy will come back. Sports Daily. More after this. Let's do this thing. Go. Sports Daily is on KFH. Welcome back, everybody. Sports Daily. KFH, Jacob Albrock, Tommy Caster, Jad Chambers producing for us. I, our appreciation to Tim Fitzgerald. Go PowerCat.com. Justin Messenger. Uh, our Odyssey Daily Tip Sports Betting Insider. A lot of great stuff. Man, I love this time of the year. You've got conference basketball in college. Um, you've got... The NFL divisional round, which again is just really, really cool. It's uh, it's a great time in the sports world. The Chiefs, Tommy, are headed to Germany. Uh, we knew that was going to happen. Sounds like I think that they'll give up a home game and they'll have eight instead of nine to go over to Germany. I I, I don't know what the general public thinks about the international games. I I like them. I think they're really smart. Um, I think growing the game has value, obviously, financially for the NHL, uh, for the NFL. Uh, but but it has value in other ways, too, Tommy. You, you know, you maybe can get kids playing football in other places. Um, I, I like that American football goes other places because I think other places love American football for the same reasons that we do. Maybe not to the same, you know, lengths that we do, but absolutely, you know, there is a a hunger for football internationally and getting into Germany now after so many years in London and a lot of games in Mexico City makes a lot of sense to me. And putting the Chiefs on display anywhere with Patrick Mahomes makes a lot of sense to me because he's right now the NFL's biggest star. I didn't realize how big of a fan base in Germany the Chiefs have. Uh, they're a big team in that country. I think it's them and the Patriots are kind of the the mm-hmm. top two teams in that country and so as they're doing the international series and we've had teams in london for a while now playing games uh and they're expanding you know to other countries i read a report that uh the nfl is is even looking to go to other countries in europe like potentially spain or france uh but germany makes a lot of sense because of the built-in fan base that's already there for the chiefs and um so i I think it, it makes sense i don't love Losing a home game. I don't think anybody loves losing a home game. Uh, but 
if it's going to be that way, at least you're going to a place that you've got a pretty strong international fan base. And I understand what the NFL is doing. It, they want to make it a global game. You know, they want to make sure that they're expanding uh, the, the width and the breadth of what the NFL can offer because there's a lot more potential money on the table if you do that. So I get it. I understand why the NFL is doing it. They've gone to England for years. Uh, they've done Mexico City. They've gone to other places. Um, so it just makes sense to me that it's expanding this way and that Kansas City is going to Germany. Hang on a minute. I'm going to go way back to something that you said. Did you say one of London's favorite teams is the Patriots? Germany. Oh, okay. I was about to say, London can't like the Patriots. No. Right? That represents yeah. their big loss, right? Like, <laughs> no, no, Germany. The, 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 the two teams uh, that I, I think have the Got biggest it. fan bases yeah, in yeah, Germany yeah. are the Chiefs and the yeah. Patriots. Uh, and the Jags in London, right? Because the Jags have played yep. over there so often, uh, which is really And they're cool. going like, back, what it a, looks like. Yeah, what a random thing to to have and, and, and be really cool. Yeah, the International Series is fun. I don't know where else they'll take it. You know, Canada is, to me, makes a ton of sense. There are so many Canadian football fans. But, you know, they sort of have a team in Buffalo, um, I, I think. Uh, when I was up in Toronto, that was the that was the general feel that I got because it's literally right across the border. I don't know if like people in Vancouver like Seattle or whatever it is, but it does make sense. And and it you know it's cool to see the Chiefs get to go do it. Yeah, if you lose a home game, big deal. You lose a home game and get a neutral site game, and you get to go to Germany. And I would bet you that the players are all pretty dadgum excited about doing it. Yeah, and what I think is going to be interesting with this is that we know they're going to be playing in Germany, but we don't know yet who they're going to be playing. Uh, and we have their their opponents uh, for next year already uh, established. We know who that's going to be. Um, I can't imagine it's going to be a divisional game, so you can take those games off of the, the plate, um, I, I would think. And then they've got some other big-time matchups. So it, I, I'm curious to know who the team is going to be that they're playing. Um, it, you know, I know that they are facing off against what they've got, the NFC North next year, I believe. So it wouldn't shock me to see maybe the Lions or the Bears maybe being the opponent in Germany, but um, that's going to be it's going to be fun to see who they're going to be facing uh, when that comes out. All right, uh, a little college football note, and I haven't fired this your way, Tommy, so we'll go off the hip here. Um, CBS Sports just this morning put out a a an article on the draft in the 10 college football teams hit hardest by underclassmen entering early. Guess who's number two on that list, according to CBS Sports? K-State. Um, wow. That number two out of every program in the country, and I think that's interesting. You know, Deuce Vaughn and Felix Enyadike Uzama, obviously the two big ones. But it's interesting because they got a lot of guys to come back. Like, it's not even as bad as we thought it might be. But I, I think the national respect for those two players is interesting. Um, I would have never guessed that a national, you know, article or writer would have would have placed the value that high. I don't know whether I believe it or not. You know, it's it, they're obviously massive losses. That part of it doesn't really matter to me. But what does matter to me when I see things like that is that K-State's in the national conversation, right? And and that's really interesting. Um, we we have, you know, we've settled into the college football offseason with losses and transfers, and and this is sort of the point where I, I don't 
it's not that I check out, but like I I lose my ability to get a good grasp of things once we enter where like who's transferring in and what kind of I I kind of I kind of black out at this part. But it was good to see that as we're scrolling through that K State's getting the kind of attention it takes to be mentioned in an article like that where the rest of them are the blue bloods of blue bloods of the last few years. Well, that's you know the the uh, the burden of your success. Um, it, it's part of it. Like that's the cost of the success uh, that Kansas State is having is that you're going to have players that are entering the national spotlight uh, more so than what we've seen in the past. There, there've always been, uh, you know, players one or two or a handful from Kansas State that ultimately will go on and and play in the league. The same thing has happened individually. For Kansas, they've had some individual guys go on and play in the league, even when those teams have been really bad. But they haven't, K-State hasn't gotten that uh, overall attention as a program like they're getting right now. And so not only does that add attention to your program for recruiting and for the transfer portal and for all of that, but then you also have some of your top-tier guys who are getting more attention nationally. For instance... Uh, when Deuce Vaughn broke off that long run in the Sugar Bowl and scored the touchdown, I thought this is Deuce Vaughn's shining moment, one shining moment, you know, and he is in the national spotlight. Ultimately, we, we know the game didn't turn out uh, for Kansas State, but in that moment, Kansas State took the lead. It was what, like a 75-yard touchdown run for Deuce Vaughn? Looked great, and I thought, man, people nationally are going to notice this, and he's going to be a household name, and, you know, declared for the draft, and uh, I think we all believe that he can play on Sunday. So that's a that's one of the costs of the success that a program like Kansas State is getting now. I think that because of this, though, yeah, you might have underclassmen declaring. You might have players that are wanting to test their skills at the next level. But because of the attention, there are the, the positives far outweigh the negatives. Yeah, they do. One more story to spitball at you here, Tommy, and you sent this over. Byron Leftwich is out. Um, the Bucks are making a lot of coaching staff changes. Not the head coach at this point. Again, sometimes when you see this, it you know it it um, it makes you think that they're going to keep the head coach. But is this any indication of Tom Brady's future? Right. The one thing about Tampa, I think that is interesting is that they have Mike Williams and Chris Godwin and Rashad White, a young running back, to replace Leonard Fournette. No, they didn't run the ball effectively, and yes, their line was decimated by injuries this year. But it does bring up an interesting question, where Tom Brady is clearly valued by that organization. How good a fit is Tampa still, potentially, if healthy, with the weapons that they have there? Is Tampa, and should Tampa still be in the mix for Brady. I suppose, yeah. And the other piece of it that's really interesting is that division sucks. And it's not a hard one to win, a la this year, when they had a horrible year and still were able to win it. I wonder if this has any value or or we should be looking into this as a potential reason for Brady to return. I don't think so. I really don't. I, I think this is a Hail Mary uh, on the part of Todd Bowles in the front office. Uh, in Tampa to try to lure Tom Brady back. But the issues are far beyond Byron Leftwich. And, and don't get me wrong, Byron Leftwich did not call good games this season offensively. 
Um, as we talked about before, the most success Tom Brady had was going out there and calling his own plays. Um, so I, I get that and I get the strategy behind it, but the issues go far beyond Byron Leftwich. His offensive line was decimated. Now, if they can come back healthy and be effective next year, that's a positive, but the offensive line was awful this year. And the defense was really bad, especially in the playoff game uh, where, you know, they, they gave up, what was it? 31 points to the Cowboys. Uh, and so it wasn't good at all in those regards. And so I think that because of that, it's more than just the offensive coordinator. Also, I mentioned it earlier this week. I'm no Todd Bowles fan. Uh, we, you know, we talked in the last segment and I know this is apples and oranges, but we talked to Tim Fitzgerald about Jerome Tang and how well-spoken he is and how enthusiastic he is. Todd Bowles is the exact opposite of that. I fall asleep when I listen to Todd Bowles. He doesn't inspire confidence for me. Maybe he does in the locker room. Maybe the players respect him a lot, but he's not somebody that I look at and I'm like, all right, that's a guy that I want to go out there and fight for. Uh, and so I think that plays into it too a little bit. I don't think that them firing By Byron Leftwich is going to make any shred of difference for Tom Brady to determine whether he wants to come back to Tampa. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it, it is interesting because you don't know. Um, well, you don't know what what Bowles and Brady's relationship is like. Um, I, the, the whole Bruce Arians leaving thing—it's all a little bit strange, and that and how that played out. So I don't know how to. I don't know how to read that. I don't know what Brady and Bowles' relationship is like. But with a different offensive coordinator, I don't know. It's interesting for Byron Leftwich, too, because this season did not go well, clearly. How much of that, I wonder, does the league attribute to those offensive line injuries? Because before this season, Byron Leftwich had earned you know, the respect enough that he was being considered for head coaching jobs at a pretty young age, which is not unusual in today's NFL. But now I wonder, like, what does his immediate future look like? And... Was this a leftwich thing or was it just an injury thing? How much of, you know, it's kind of like, it, was it the head coach's genius that made the offenses go? I don't I don't think so. I, I think Byron Leftwich still has a pretty bright future. I don't think it was like all Arians and then yeah. Arians left. I think it had more to do with injury than anything else. I just don't yeah. think they ever figured out how to overcome those offensive line injuries. By Byron Leftwich is going to be okay. He'll get an offensive coordinator job somewhere else. And, you know, try to be able to have a, you know, a couple successful seasons. And he'll, I'm sure he'll be back in the head coaching cycle um, for sure. But one thing to keep in mind, typically coaches get hired on before free agents make their decisions. So keep your eyes out for where Byron Leftwich ends up. And I think he'll be an offensive coordinator. And there are a variety of teams in the league that are looking for a new offensive coordinator. Keep your eyes open for where he ends up. Because I think at that point, you can probably cross that team off Tom Brady's list, assuming that they need a quarterback. Then uh, there are a handful of teams that are looking for both a quarterback and an offensive coordinator. And so uh, I think that you can basically, because Tom Brady's not, it, it, I don't think that they have a bad relationship, but it wasn't effective this past season. So I wouldn't count on, I don't think it's likely at all that wherever Byron Leftwich ends up as an offensive coordinator, that Tom Brady is going to go to that team too. Uh, yeah, that's that's interesting. It, it, it's gonna again. This carousel is gonna be wild. Now we've got uh, we've got Sean Payton to Denver rumors. Let's talk about that next because man, that does not seem like a good fit to me. Other than did they you can hear pay about the money that he's looking for? Yeah. 
20 to 25 million. Holy We're going to talk cow. about that. Sean Payton, Broncos, is it a good fit? We'll talk about it next on Sports Daily. Welcome back, everybody. We're all just skater girls, right, Tommy? Or skater boy? Is it skater girl or skater boy? <laughs> skater boy. Skater boy. I mean, if you uh, want to be a skater I, girl, you're more than welcome to. I won't judge yeah, you. Yeah, I'm fine. I don't care. I don't know how to roller skate. I don't know how to roller skate. Well, the, here, let's go down this rabbit hole. So Skateboarding. That's what kids, it's, it's not roller skating. Right. I can't do either. Uh, okay. But just skating in general. I, I'm moderately... Athletic. He's a pretty good athlete in some of the more traditional things, but not like things everybody else knows how to do. Skating. Uh, riding a bike very well. Like, I can kind of go, but if I have to turn or anything, it's it's dicey. Uh, swimming the correct way. I, I'm an expert doggy paddler. Like, all these okay. little things. So skating is one of them. I hated skating parties as a kid because I can't skate. Recently, we were on vacation, and there was a roller rink, and we all went, and you know, my wife's like, oh, just get out you know, get out there with the kids. It'll be fine. Or ice skating, same thing. Uh, get out there and just – you'll be fine. No, I will fall hard on my butt. And as I get older, falling hard can lead to serious injuries, so I can't skate. Well, my kids now, I guess roller skating is a thing in PE, so they're skating. And I had to, like, explain to my 5-year-old daughter last night, like, sweetie – you're probably already better than I am at skating. Like, this isn't going to be yeah. something we get to do together. Like, it'll be just like when I was in <laughs> kindergarten and had to sit off to the side at roller skating parties. I don't know what it is about skating. I can't figure it out. I can't do it. So, no, I'm not a skater boy. Um, a little, little known fact Little known fact about me. Uh, I work for a professional hockey team. That's my full-time 9-to-5 mm -hmm. job. I have never put on a pair of ice skates in my entire life. Not once. Don't know I how have, to do it. I have, have no once. intention of learning how to do it. No interest. Yeah. I don't. I no no interest whatsoever in learning how to do that. I have once, and it did not go well, as you might imagine. Yeah. Um, not at all. I feel like and I've got very weak ankles, and I'm not sure that it would work. It work out very well. I don't know what it's for me. It's the balance of it just does not make sense to me. I guess because I cannot figure it out. Skiing, no problem. Like a lot of things. But for whatever reason on skates, I can't do it. My wife made me go ice skating. She thought it would be, like, so romantic. And I was like, I I'm telling you this is a bad idea. Like, I it's not. <laughs> and she, she was like, you'll be fine. Like, whatever. Guilt me into it. We get there. I'm like, okay. I'm like, I'm already antsy. I'm kind of holding on to the edge the whole time. And I'm like, ah, maybe. I don't, I don't know if I can get this. And I'm like, this is a bad idea. For a lot of reasons, like one, I'm going to have to go to the hospital or, you know, I'm a public figure and I'm going to make an idiot <laughs> out of myself here. And she's it's like, it's going to go fine. viral. It, well, so what happens? Local news. So I'm anchor. on like I'm on the third lap and I go down hard, like mm -hmm. hard. And I'm just sitting there like so angry and like I got a quick temper. I, I don't, like, get mad very often, but I do have, like, a snap temper. So in that moment, like, that rage comes, and I hear giggling, and I'm like, oh, God. 
And so I get up and I'm like, all right, we'll make the best of this. And I look, what do I see? Cell phone camera. And I'm like, Uh, I'm out. I'm out. We're done. Never again. So I want to ask you this, and I'm curious about this because you have spent so long on television and, you know, you're in people's homes every night. How sensitive are you to your image or like, like trying to avoid things that may, that may end up like, you know, for instance, like if you wanted to take like a boxing class, would you be afraid of like getting punched in the face and having a black eye and having to be on? Well, yeah, you, yeah, you have to be that. Um, but like embarrassing myself, not normally. No, social media has made it a little different. I don't mind embarrassing myself like in public. I, I I am keenly aware though of what can happen with the internet now, and that makes it a little bit different. Like if 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 it's not like going to end up on the you know online, I don't mind making a fool of myself. In fact, I would be like I embrace the dad obligation of embarrassing sure. myself and my family at every opportunity uh, more than it embarrasses me. However, yeah, because of what we do for a living, and especially with the TV, I do have to be. A little bit more careful. My got to avoid the, the face, right? The, the pretty face. Yeah, avoid, just avoid, avoid the face. My uh, my original like managers, the the main anchor of the news station, I came up with local legend back in Amarillo. He used to explain it to the young folks like you got to live in a glass fishbowl, like you got everybody can see. Yeah. Um, sometimes I don't take that to heart too well, but sometimes when ice skating, I do. Um, Tommy Sean Payton, Broncos seems like. A fit that doesn't make any sense other than the Broncos can pay him what he wants to be paid, just twenty to twenty-five million. I certainly understand why Broncos new ownership would be willing to go big on their head coach, but because of what they already had to give up to get Russell Wilson, and because it's very likely gonna take some decent draft capital to pry Sean Payton away, I don't think it makes any sense for a Broncos fit for Sean Payton. I mean, they are basically, they've already mortgaged their future with Russell Wilson. I mean, they're basically adding a second mortgage, you know, onto that if you're going to bring in Sean Payton. Uh, Now, the compensation as far as going back to the Saints is there because while Denver doesn't have a ton of draft capital, they do have a first rounder because they traded Bradley Chubb. So they've got that compensation to trade to the Saints in order to get Sean Payton. But twenty to twenty-five million dollars a year as a head coach, like that's crazy. But when you're the hottest name in the coaching cycle, and Jim Harbaugh has already taken his name out of consideration, he's staying at, at Michigan, and you've got several teams that might be bidding for your services. Uh, why not shoot for the moon if you're Sean Payton and ask for that kind of money if you think you can get it? I'm not sure for the Broncos. Yeah, he's a good coach, but I'm not sure for the Broncos that financially. It makes any sense whatsoever because they're already paying so much for Russell Wilson. I mean, you at this point, you are doubling down that Russell Wilson is going to be your quarterback of the future, and you hope and pray that Sean Payton can turn him around. Well, and it's not, funny money is involved there, and paying a coach doesn't hurt you against the cap. So it's, it's not right. the money as much as, like, what you have to get up to get. If he was just a strictly, like, you can hire any coach you want, but he's but he's still kind of owned by the, by the Saints. That's sure. what makes it, to me, not make any sense. And maybe we're all over-evaluating what it's going to take to get him away from the Saints. That could also be the case. You know, if they got to trade, like, a fourth or fifth-round pick at that point, okay, fine. 
Peyton himself is saying it's going to be a mid to late first rounder is what the Saints are going to want to want. So who knows? If you're the Saints, wouldn't you take something rather than nothing, though? Like there's some power for the other side, too. Like, the the Broncos aren't any threat to the Saints. I don't know. It'll be interesting to watch. Maybe we'll hit on that a little bit more tomorrow. We'll come back. We'll wrap things up, tell you what's on tap on the networks today next.